passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the November edition of Post Pro Res. I'm John Pollock alongside WH Park. We are in the, the home stretch of 2019. The, the days are ticking away as 2019 comes to an end. How are you, WH? I'm pretty good, John. Uh, I was saying to you off air, like, we've broken the curse. There's no typhoon hitting us after we record this. So it's, it's nice. I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's not something that you and I are doing. Like, there's no butterfly effect of you and I speaking about Japanese professional wrestling that causes, like, it, intermittent weather to hit Japan and, and, and ruin my weekend. So there's that. How was the uh, the typhoon from from your vantage point? Did it uh, directly affect you? How, uh, as we go back to the last time we spoke, that was certainly uh, the major concern going into that weekend. Yeah, it was it was okay for the most part. Like I I live in kind of like higher ground, so I didn't have to worry about flooding from overflowing rivers or anything like that. But certain parts of Nimazu did suffer a little bit of flooding. Not not too serious. Like the the kind of the areas more north of me and kind of towards the uh, the coast got really hit bad and i i kind of feel bad for some of the people who you know were out of you know out for you know blackouts and and train services got you know literally derailed and like the the new japan dojo you know not to make light of it but they got flooded they got yeah. completely destroyed so i i was pretty lucky all i had to deal with was just like being stuck at home all day so well we're uh we're glad you you are okay and that those uh affected are recovering because that was a. Uh... Yeah, certainly a, a major concern uh, if you were following the news uh, a month ago. Uh, we have a lot to discuss on this month's episode. We're going to go through all the latest uh, in New Japan and All Japan with their tag leagues underway. We're going to also go back to the Noah show from a few weeks ago that you attended, and I have gotten to see most of the card. Uh, and we'll also chat about some other matches that were on uh, my homework list for the past month, and I've gotten to see. So we have lots of lots of wrestling to discuss, WH. Yes, let's get to it. So let's start off uh, going back to this announcement from a couple weeks back. And that was uh, – and that kind of dovetails into this past weekend where New Japan returned to the U.S. They had shows in San Jose on Saturday night and then L.A. on Monday. And this is the precursor to New Japan Pro Wrestling of America where they are going to be setting up an office pretty much attached to their – LA Dojo in 2020 and are going to be having regular tours in between uh, Japanese tours. So they're making quite the concerted effort. They are calling this their phase three uh, of their U.S. strategy. And I guess now that we've had uh, several weeks to look at this WH, I mean, what do you see as the prospects of New Japan trying to have more of a foothold in what's a really crowded market space in the U.S. for people's attention and primarily looking at expanding a, a live event business for the company. Um, I, I'm very um, 
I have very negative viewpoint about this whole thing, to be quite honest with you. Uh, from a talent point of view, like I don't know why anyone on that roster would be excited about getting off a tour, a three-week tour in Japan, and then pretty much immediately going over to the United States and wrestling in a different time zone, dealing with jet lag and being there for how no, who knows how long. Like if the idea is, okay, between tours is like roughly two to three weeks. Okay. In that two to three weeks, you're going to wrestle in the United States instead of you know, spending time with your family or just recovering from the, you know, the, the wear and tear that you suffer on a regular Japanese tour. And then there's the whole idea. Like, like you said, John, it's, it's a crowded marketplace. I, I really think they're going to hit a point of oversaturation. And I, and I looked to like this last tour, you know, for the King of Pro Wrestling and the power struggle. I didn't watch any of that shit. Honestly, John, it's like too much. It's like, why am I going to waste my time watching all these road to shows? There's nothing's going to happen on them. Um, I got enough wrestling. I other, you know, the other companies that I don't watch it, it. Time is a premium. I don't have, the time to watch more New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially if I think it's going to be like just a regular, like a, a house house show tour. Like, well, what, especially what's the point? If, if it's going to be closer to these past shows this this past weekend. And like, I watched the San Jose show. You did a, a whole review of it. I really enjoyed the show. Uh, did it make any kind of difference? Had I had I missed it? Um, not a whole lot. It's you know, it's like a premium house show. That's what I watched on Saturday in San Jose. You you did have all the stars. I, I can't imagine that these U.S. shows are going to be full New Japan rosters. They can't be. But, yeah, they, they need to put s- some significant names on these tours and then, I guess, fill it out with the, with the dojo guys. But it's still going to be, you know, certain talent that are going to be required to go on these tours. And I just question if it's... Like Monday night, uh, the Observer had a figure. They drew 529 people to the Globe Theater, which the Globe Theater is not a big place to begin with. But, you know, they're talking about like 2,000 seaters that they're looking to book. Um, is this the best strategy for growth to just be coming all the way over here, incurring all of the expenses? And I would say if it's going to be shows like we saw this past weekend, I, I don't know if it's a guarantee they're going to be doing 2,000 people for all these shows, and they didn't well, on Monday, nor did they book a venue uh, to even look at that kind of demand. Well, the other thing is, is they're going to be stretching their their booking, aren't they? I mean, like, is this going to be in canon, so to speak, with, with the Japanese shows? I mean, they're, they, you know, they booked this show in Los, in San Jose, and it's the last advertised, you know, match of Jushin Thunder Liger in the United States, and they put him in a tag match, and he didn't even get the pin in this match like no it was he he, he was he, like, he lost he, he was on he the losing the end yeah that was it like the the entrance was liger's big spot in the match and it was yeah primarily um the the focus more so on aaron solo than even jushin liger i mean you couldn't like book i don't know you can switch things around have amazing red fight liger in a 12 15 minute match i think that would have been a great way to send him off in the united states yeah it's and that'll be something important because if it's these kinds of shows that people in the USC like these are the shows we're getting uh that that's not that that's going to make them skippable shows and then you're in the trap of you're you're committing to these shows and the audience has already been kind of told that these are not big shows these are kind of 
our version of, say, a, you know, of a mid-tour show that is is not the big show of the tour. It's just I, the novelty of seeing these stars. That That's great for the first time in the market, but they're looking now for repeat business, and that does require a bit more to sustain that audience. Yeah, I also worry about, like, how the fans in Japan are going to react to this because, like, you know, the CEO, Takami Obari, he, he made a point of saying, like, we're not going to neglect the fans in Japan. This is, like, going to be a compliment to to the things that happened in Japan. But, like, you know, the, the focus is still the Japanese market, which obviously it should be. That's, you know, if they if they neglect that, if that business goes down, they're going to be in big trouble. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be received well by the Japanese fans. I think there's probably already, you know, he makes that comment because I think there's already backlash kind of feedback against the idea of like, why are you going to take all these guys who, you know, they, they care about, you know, the wrestlers in new Japan, they care about their heroes. They don't, they're used to having this idea that they're going to have this time off. And now they're not going to, a lot of them aren't going to have the time off like consistently. So I, I really think it's an, it's an ambitious plan on their part. And I can see why they would want to do it. Obviously. I think they're really in love with this idea of becoming like the Japanese version of the WB and doing this global expansion. Um, I just think they should probably go a little bit slower. My idea would be like do two big shows in the UK, do two big shows in North America, maybe one in the United States and maybe eventually do one in Canada as well. And like, I think you and I talked about this before, the copper box would be an awesome site for a G1 show. That that's where I would do the first night next year. Yeah, I I just thought that venue was awesome. The crowd was fantastic. Um, that would be uh, like honestly, I feel like if you're just looking for added live event revenue, yes, there is the idea of having a further foothold in the U.S. market. To me, the U.K. seems like it's. I, I think it would it would do some damage to the existing promotions in the UK. But if New Japan through RevPro made that much more of a frequent stop for them, I think they'd be received much better and in higher numbers than I think they're going to experience here unless they have uh, a vastly increased strategy of the, like what these shows are going to entail. Because I just see this as you're, you're going to be incurring a, a ton of cost and it's going to be to come over here and – Wrestling in front of five hundred to fifteen hundred people. Yeah, I just it just doesn't make any sense. And like I said, I think the big thing will be you know the, the effect on talent and like oversaturation. Like people are just not going to be think it's special anymore, and they're not going to go. I'm sorry, they're not. They're going to just think, well, I could I could watch this total English product in WWE or in AEW, and and you know, and then here's the other thing is like this definitely confirms that there's there's not going to be really any foreseeable partnership between you know aw and new japan because now new japan is their direct competitor in the united states market yeah there, there's no incentive now for aew to sit down at the table with them it it puts new japan in a, in a unique spot here in in the u.s that you you've certainly distanced yourselves from ring of honor and it seems that they are just going it alone now in the U.S. It seems like there is a a thread of a connection now with with Ring of Honor. It sounds like it's not been completely um, or at least formally disintegrated, but we're seeing New Japan's strategy that they're just kind of coming in on their own. And another topic is like their television situation on Access TV now that comes with its own political hurdles because 
Anthem Sports, the parent company to Impact Wrestling, now owns Access TV. And New Japan is there for another year until January of 2021. And I think New Japan ultimately, like, if you if you want to make a, a noticeable amount of revenue coming from the U.S., it's going to be through television rights and not doing essentially house shows here and by adding to that live event amount that you're doing. Yeah, I just think the 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 costs are not gonna you're not, not gonna get you know not gonna be worth the what little profits are gonna actually generate because I I think maybe at first they might generate some profits at first the novelty of it all but after I don't know six months and people realize well these aren't really special shows that you're giving us outside of maybe like maybe a show in Texas or maybe a show in like a bigger market in the Northeast like Philadelphia or you know. Uh, New York or something like that, then it's it's just not going to work. I, I, I'm very pessimistic about the whole thing, John. Do you think, uh, last thing on this topic, do you think that Impact stands to have leverage here that they could somehow work their way into working with New Japan? Because from a strategic standpoint, that one does make sense for New Japan. But that, again, is getting over the the feelings of the past Impact regime that New Japan has seemed extremely reticent to have anything to do with impact wrestling but now there is a commonality in their broadcaster yeah i think that's definitely something that you know impact and access tv can like an anthem can go to new japan and say listen we know you have like problems with tna we're not tna like those people are gone like we can do some stuff and maybe they're gonna dangle the carrot of you know being on access tv as you know like kind of an incentive for them to do it i mean hey you know kazuchika okada was more than happy to say TNA, you know, when he was in the ring with the Amazing Red on uh, on the San Jose show there, John. Yeah, well, well maybe, the, maybe the ice is thawing. It's uh, Maybe Impact can ask Dixie Carter to do a public apology on air. That, that, uh, that would be something I would uh, pay money to see, John. All right. Well, <laughs> moving on from there. Anything uh, just coming out of the, the two shows? I mean, I would encourage everyone to check out your review with Davis Storm, an excellent rundown of the San Jose card from Saturday. Monday's was not streamed on New Japan World. Uh, I'm assuming they, they seem to film everything. So maybe this will pop up on New Japan World at some point. I love the length of the San Jose show, John. Yes, like, it was great. Like... E- easy, easy watch. <laughs> Like nothing went over like the only there's only one match. I'm looking at the, the results. There's only one match that went over 20 minutes. And that was the uh, El Fantasmo versus show match, which was my favorite match of the Best night. Match and, of the show. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's the only thing that went over 20 minutes by by 23 seconds. Everything else was like under 15 for the most part. And I'm like, yes, more of this. Oh. It was so easy to watch. I was like, I can't stand these three hour shows with like, you know, like three 20 minute undercard matches on them. And it's like, no, I, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. As I've said a million times, no fan ever leaves a wrestling show or an MMA card. And they tell their friend, man, I wish it was longer. And if you do have that feeling, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I'm sure people in San Jose were, were like really happy and we could have been, you know, if they extended it by another half hour, this, they would have been This was a West time. Coast show, and they were done by 10 p.m. You, you still have your evening. I mean, yes, I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the two-and-a-half to three-hour show. I will always and it just for that. It just proves you don't need to have a three-hour – like more than a three-hour show to have an entertaining product that is going to satisfy fans and make them probably want to come back for more. What are, what are the most consistently – 
excellent series of cards that have failed to have a bad show to date. It's TakeOver. And they top yeah. out at three hours. And they're yes. usually two and a half. And nobody and- ever complains afterwards. That the length is one of the – is a big positive coming out of the show is that they got all of that in in a reasonable amount of time because your audience – has a life. They want to do something else uh, with their night beyond spending six of them watching wrestling. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to like try to rush to catch a train and stuff like that. I can speak from my own experience this past August. Uh, you know, watching Takeover at the, uh, you know, the former Air Canada Center. Like, okay, I gotta catch that train back to you know Vaughn, where where my family home is. You know, it's it's not. It's kind of a daunting prospect sometimes, John. You didn't uh, come back the next night for SummerSlam. No, I was not uh, uh, looking forward to doing anything more than takeover in regards to the WWE, John. Like you, you can like even if like say you got me a free ticket and like and said like and here's fifty bucks, you can get a bag of popcorn. I would say no, I'm not fucking doing that. Uh, moving on over another uh, story over the last couple of weeks was the purchase of Stardom by Bushi Road, the parent company of. New Japan Pro Wrestling, this was announced uh, back in the middle of October, actually. But you and I have not had a chance to speak about this. Um, you know, I I look at this from all different angles. And sometimes just like the headline of a major company buying out a smaller outfit, you kind of have your concerns. What will this mean for the smaller company? In this one, I, I don't see much risk for stardom. I think this gives them... Solid backing. It's not going to wipe out their talent to be replaced by other talent because it's such a different roster. You can't it's they're exclusive to one another. So I think that this I, I think this is a good deal for stardom. Uh maybe I'll sound like an idiot in a year or two, but uh today I look at this and I think that this is some solid footing for stardom, which I think sometimes people might re- not realize just how small of a group stardom really is. It's essentially five people working in their front office, and this is, you know, an enormous purchase for Bushi Road to kind of expand their pro wrestling profile. I think it's a win-win for both Bushi Road and, and for stardom. Um, obviously, like Rossi Ogawa, the owner of stardom, felt the same way because, like, he rebuffed the advances of the WWE who, you know, they, they dangled that carrot, John. They're, they're going to put oh, him in the Hall of Fame ceremony. <laughs> they're going to give him the ring. But he said, but, you know, like, the, the story's out there. Like what? What were you gonna? What were you gonna do with my company? Like, and they said we don't know, but we can give you this ring. And he said mm, no. And then Bushy Road said, "Listen, we have this like I don't know three to five year plan to expand the company. You're gonna still be the CEO, and we're gonna raise the profile because you know, like you know, watching uh, Rossi Ogawa on the wrestlers, Damien Abraham's excellent documentary about you know professional wrestling across the world. You can go watch that in Viceland." Uh, it was great. Like he is obviously some someone who cares about his legacy, and he loves professional wrestling. And I think you know Bushi Road presenting this idea, like like we're going to grow this company. We want it to be something that is on par for the Joshi scene. That what New Japan is is for you know male wrestling in Japan, and, and like that's something that's appealing. And also expand it worldwide. There's this idea that they're going to start you know probably doing shows, maybe not in 2020. You know, I can see them maybe doing testing the waters with some joint New Japan shows, but definitely 2021, I can see a full blown effort to crack the market uh, with startup shows in the United States. Yeah, I mean, had this gone the other way 
and WWE had been able to purchase stardom, how would that have been received by the the wrestling public? Like, we, I always hear about like kind of the the stigma of of an outside international company buying a Japanese property. That that's that's very tough to be able to pull off. How would that have been received culturally from the wrestling fan base? And it would 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 it been a looked down upon for Rossi Ogawa to have handed this company over to a WWE and the, you know, the, the future certainly I think would have been in doubt. I think you'll find that a lot of, you know, wrestling fans in Japan are very proprietary of the companies that they support and, and stardom is no exception. I would say maybe there is uh, a higher sense of like, you know, ownership of the fans to, uh, to, stardom uh like you know whenever i go to like a live show especially at cork and hall it's the same people in the expensive seats john in the front row it's always the same people they have you know a lot of emotional investment financial investment in the company they're they're buying all the the merchandise it seems so i don't think they would be happy with it i think they like stardom the way it is i would assume that maybe in to some degree they're I don't know. Maybe they're very uh, apprehensive about the Bushi Road purchase, even. Yeah, it's it's. I, I would say, like when I say future in doubt, not so much from a financial standpoint from WWE, but in terms of what Stardom is and being recreated in WWE's vision. I think Stardom would be drastically different than what I would assume Bushi Road would be. I think you're going to see much more of a of a straight line between the Stardom of old versus whatever vision they have. But certainly whenever you have these big acquisitions, it, it also do does come with questions of what changes they see. And they, you know, they, they have outlined, they want to take this from get, get the $2 million a year in revenue is what stardom generates. And they want to increase this to $6 million by 2022 to 2023. So that that's kind of the, the scope of what stardom is now and how you get to that, that higher figure. Yeah. And, and like their strategy seems to be is to attract more women fans to their live shows, which would be an amazing thing to see, you know, as someone who's gone to not just stardom, but other Joshi shows in Japan, it's, it is predominantly a, a male dominated audience. Um, and I do think that can be intimidating for a lot of women. Like there is a great article from Nikon Sports by someone by the name of uh, Izu Miho Takaba that uh, Striga from the Eastern Lariat uh, kind of translated on Twitter. And, you know, the, this, the writer like opened up this line chat. You and Wei have been talking about the line app and, and gathered opinion for about 40 women. And they, you know, they shared some of those women shared a bitter experience of going to like these shows that, oh, I, I felt uncomfortable being surrounded by all these men, maybe something untoward happened to them i don't know but but a lot of them enjoyed the the product itself the the joshi wrestling that they saw and it's it's this whole idea of like well we got to make these environments comfortable the the thing about that john is is like you'll find you know that entertainment in general in japan is very segregated Mm -hmm. along gender lines like a lot of entertainment is this this kind of entertainment is geared towards women this kind of entertainment is geared towards men and usually the the divide is the gender of the performer. So a lot of the you know the music acts, for example, that are predominantly uh, young women, tend to have more male fans. And uh, music you know music groups that feature predominantly young men tend to have 
female fans. It's in, in the same with wrestling, it seems. It's like there's obviously more of a mix at, you know, male dominated wrestling promotions like New Japan, All Japan, Pressing Noah, Dragon Gate. But, you know, predominantly most Joshi groups are, you know, predom- dominated by men in the audience. And like, I don't know what they're going to necessarily do to kind of bridge that gap. I would assume women only seats like they've, they're doing at Wrestle Kingdom this year. They're going to have to cordon off like entire sections just for women to buy tickets at. And, you know, for me, like I think Strig and Dylan Fox mentioned this on Eastern Layer. I, if I was them, I would say the hard cam side, you know, where, where, you know, where the, the side opposite of the hard cam, that should be all women. Cause that's, you want that on television. It's like, wow, all these women are going to stardom. I, I think I'll start going to stardom too. That, that'd be cool. And then, you know, broadcast like clips of that on, you know, on uh, New Japan shows, like on New Japan World, maybe to some degree, but at like New Japan live events and just show stardom and then just show clips of all these women at the show. That would, I think that would, you know, pique the curiosity of the female fans at New Japan shows. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. They take over control of the company December 1st and looking ahead to next year of where, what, what, what changes you see and, and do we eventually see some, uh, integration between stardom and New Japan. It seems like right now it's just two separate companies being run, but ultimately, like, is there an opportunity there to, at the very least, when there is a big New Japan card of piggybacking, putting a stardom show in the same market the night prior or the afternoon of, uh, more of, more of those opportunities where it naturally sends people to check out stardom if you're already seeking out the New Japan show. Well, I mean, like, Kidani has come out and he said he wants to create an IWGP women's title, like, down the line. Like, mm-hmm. when stardom is, a, is like, you know, making that $6 million a year, okay, that's when they're going to maybe integrate, you know, I don't know if they, they get rid of all the, the stardom-branded titles, like the Goddess of Stardom, the Artist of Stardom, the Wonder of Stardom, World of Stardom titles. Like, I think that's very important to the brand. But, you know, they have this belt called the SWA, which is kind of like their traveling world title like it's it's kind of a hard thing to describe but like the, if they had the, uh, they the, replaced the storm that, wrestling academy title yeah basically well it was held by tony storm for a long time so there you go but you know if they replaced that with the iwgp women's title down the line okay and maybe that's only that's only defended at major new japan shows maybe the winner of that t- that belt is like on Dominion. It's on Wrestle Kingdom. Is on, you know, the G1 Climax uh, Finals in in Budokan Hall. That would be a good thing. But you know, you keep the rest of the Storm titles separate. And the other thing he mentioned that I thought was really, really interesting is that he wants to get Yoshirai and Kairi Sane back into Stardom, back having come back to Japan. Which I've, I'm thinking he's like got this long term plan of like making it worth their while. It's uh. I'm sure it's uh it's it's a nice want to have. Uh is it is it realistic? We'll we'll find out. I mean it's going to be probably while well, I'm just looking up ages right now. So Yoshirai is twenty nine while Kyrie Sane is probably thirty one. Yeah, so she's two years older than than uh Shirai. I, I think it'll ultimately come down to what kind of financial offer that they can make these women when they become available and how much WWE wants to retain them, which I would say at the moment they are trying to keep everybody. So I, I, I would, I, I would be 
not shocked, but but fairly surprised to see if these women would go back to stardom. Um, because I think even stardom's best case scenario would be to still be a relatively small, small company in the grand scope of things. And certainly WWE, uh, if it's a financial decision, it's not even going to be close. Well, we'll see. I mean, they might just, you know, like a lot of people get tired of working in that system and not being pushed to, you know, the the, the level that they feel like they should be pushed, you know, in relation to their talent. So it, it's an interesting thing. Like, th- I think this is more interesting to me than New Japan Pro Wrestling of America, John. Well, we will see. It's going to be an interesting year for stardom coming up. Uh, let's uh, look ahead. New Japan has made some announcements for both Tokyo Dome shows, January 4th and 5th. So these are the, the current announced matches we have. On the first night, on the 4th, Okada and Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight title. Jay White and Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental title. WH, you're going to be there live. You are going to get to see Jay White defending the Intercontinental title and... Man, I, I, I feel I should just be rolling a video on you because if Jay White beats Tetsuya Naito at the Dome, I, w- I want your real-time reaction to be preserved for everybody. Okay, that's that's behind the, the Patreon though, right? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have to that, – that, that, that's a pay-per-view. We might have to like go on Fight TV or something for that reveal. Uh, Will Ospreay against the returning Hiromu Takahashi for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title and then the – The eight-man tag with Liger, Tetsumi, Fujinami, Great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask against Naoki Sano, Shinjiro Tani, Tetsuhito Takeiwa, and Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, So that's the first night. Um, I guess uh, lineup so far, um, is this piquing your interest? And why is Hiromu Takahashi the most interesting part of this card for you? (laughs) No, like I'm I'm excited about everything, like – you know, Okada versus Ibushi, I think once they start their match, it's going to be freaking amazing. And you know what? I, I'm interested in what's going to happen with between White and, and Naito. I, I don't think White's going to win. I think the plan is for Naito to face Okada on January 5th. We'll see. I, I don't put all my eggs in one basket with, as far as like, you know, Ghetto's booking Naito's goes. booking, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, yeah, but, you know, what is the most interesting thing? Yes, it is indeed the return of Hiromu Takahashi, and he's taking on Will Ospreay. I think that's going to be... I'm going to see, does he have ring rust, John? Like, that's the big the question with Hiromu Takahashi. And and he's, is he going to, like, go crazy, like, in his match, like he, like he did before his injury? And we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm going to say I'm very optimistic that it's going to be Hiromu of old, it, it it seemed like during his return at the end of Osprey's match with Bushi that he's he's rare to go. He doesn't care about his own health anymore. He's still again. out of his mind. Yeah, so it should be should be an amazing show. I'm very excited about the fourth right now, a little bit more than I am about the fifth. Yeah, the fifth has um the winners of the top two title matches, as well as the losers will face off. Uh, then you have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Chris Jericho and El Fantasmo Taiji Ishimori defending the junior heavyweight tag titles against Rapongi 3K, who just won the Super Junior Tag League. And we're, I think we're getting the Liger retirement match. The Liger that. retirement match will be on the fifth as well. No opponent announced as of yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm racking my brain trying to think of who he's going to face on that night. It, like people are, I think, erroneously saying that. It's someone he said it's going to be someone who he's never faced before. I think 
someone, I forget who it was, someone kind of corrected it, that statement and said it's someone, he would like it to be someone he's never faced before, but he doesn't know. Like, it could be, like, an old opponent of his that still can go and have a memorable match with him. Do you have a short list? Uh, who would be your who would be your ideal opponent? I'm going to say Osprey because I think Osprey is going to be, you know, free. I, I, he's not going to be the IWGP junior heavyweight champion after, you know, his match with Hiromu. I, you know, or Hiromu. I, I personally, this is what I would do, John, is like whoever is the champion faces Liger on the fifth. Doesn't have to be for the title, but maybe, you know, the champion, say it's Osprey, he's like, I want to face you in a retirement match. I'm even going to put the title on the line against you, okay? Because I feel I'm going to beat you anyways in this match. And then maybe Liger wins it, you know? And then, yeah, he abdicates it, and they have a tournament for that belt. I don't know. It, it wouldn't matter, John, because the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, ma- title belt isn't really that important in the grand scheme of things as far as, like, their box office goes. So it would be okay to do something like that, I think. You don't want to see Chris Jericho work twice on the 5th as Super Liger? John, I think that's just a pipe dream I'm I'm having. I I don't think you know Chris Jericho is going to be able to get a, get out of his uh, painmaker gear and then put on the uh, the bodysuit, the white bodysuit, and have the match with Liger. Listen, if he wasn't facing Tanahashi, Liger and Jericho would I think would be an awesome match to have for Liger to go out go out on because like you know Chris Jericho is probably the biggest star in North American wrestling right now. Uh he's he's red hot right now. On on AEW, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much they. Um, what, what do you see Tanahashi doing on on the fourth? Do you see him just being in maybe some kind of tag? Do you see him doing something significant on the fourth, or do you think all the focus will be on the Jericho match on the fifth? I think the 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 fifth is his focus. I, I I'm assuming he's probably just going to be in some kind of tag match. You know, maybe him and Hinari Hinari are going to win the tag league and they're going to get the title shot. Well, that can take us over to the Tag League. You put together a phenomenal preview. I always look forward to the previews that, that you write for these upcoming tournaments. So you can check that out at uh, postwrestling.com, a tale of two Tag Leagues <laughs> between New Japan and All Japan. And, you know, I, I really don't have – like I used to always feel that the World Tag League was – just a, always a missed opportunity from New Japan to do something really cool. But then the other part of me – kind of has just come to the realization that it's never going to be a big tournament. It's not viewed as all that prestigious and having a lull before your big shows, I don't think is the worst thing in the world. So maybe I'm being too kind for this unimaginative tournament every year, but I think your sentiments are in line with mine as we head into the annual world tag league tournament, where I feel by the end of this WH, we could be looking at the prospects of evil and Sonata winning yet again, having a match with the Gorillas uh, yet again. You, you, you don't think they'd book that again, would you, John? Oh, I mean, look at, I, look at this I don't think I, I don't roster. think I can take that, that pairing anyway. It's nothing against these performers. It's a fine match, but man, I just feel I have watched that match a hundred times in the past two years. You're not excited about the, the prospect of Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi getting a title shot, John? <laughs> Come on, look at, look at my in-depth analysis of that team. Poor Kenta. <laughs> Poor Kenta is the whole write-up. You know who I would really like to see, and you classified them as kind of like a, a dark horse pick? Juice and David Finley. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, this 
team. They're they're really good as a tag team. I liked the stuff they were doing in Ring of Honor. I liked when they were teaming in New Japan. Like and honestly, like Juice needs to like recuse himself from that U.S. title scene right now. I I don't think it does him any favors. He, he's but been lost Finlay. in the shuffle. I think ever since G One. I think he's just he he had his footing. Um, but I, I think over the past six to eight months, I think he's kind of just gotten lost in the shuffle. And this tag division, goddamn, does it need some some fresh blood? And these two, I think, would would stand out a lot more as as a tag team right now rather than individuals. Oh, and I think David Finley could use this shot in the arm that yep. teaming with Juice would would bring him. These guys have excellent chemistry, but the whole you know the whole division really is up for grabs for that one like team that just like takes the reins and say fuck this, we're going to have all these great matches and you're going to have no choice but to pay attention to this. I'm sorry, it's not G.O.D. It's never been G.O.D. And it's nothing against them because I do actually enjoy them as as a team. And it's not Evil Sonata as much as I like both those guys as well. I like, And it wasn't going to be... It might have been the Young Bucks if they stuck around, but you know, they, they decided to you know go to Greener Patchers. I don't blame them, quite honestly. But, you know, like Finn Juice, I think, has that potential to like, you know, draw attention to themselves. And Later on, split, and then both of them, like, Juice is, Juice is going to be the bigger star, obviously. But Finley has this, like, chance to, like, kind of, like, get in a higher position. I mean, he can't go any lower than he is right now, John. Let's be honest. Yeah, he he's coming off the loss to Lance Archer. I think that uh, – and they're they're teasing something with it with Juice and, and Lance Archer for down the road. But primarily, I, I would love to see these two be a regular team, at least go far in this tournament. I, I'm – I'm not holding my breath for them to win it outright, but I think it would be just something fresh because I think Evil and Sonata will be very much met with indifference. And uh, the rest of the lineup, uh, it rounds out Hiroshi Tanahashi with Toa Hanare, Togi Makabe and Tomoaki Honma, who had won in back-to-back years prior to Evil and Sonata's run. Yuji Nagata and Manabu Nakanishi, Kojima and Tenzan, the aforementioned Juice Robinson and David Finley, Mikey Nichols with Jeff Cobb, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks, Colt Cabana and Toru Yano, the Gorillas of Destiny, Shingo Takagi and El Terrible, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi, Poor Kenta and Yujiro, and Bad Luck Folly, Chase Owens, followed by Evil and Sonata. That is your lineup, uh, uh, WH, uh, as you'll be glued in front of New Japan World for every single tournament match. No, no, you you, you change that word new to all, and then you have that correct, John. (laughs) Well... That is, you know, typically the the much more interesting card, the the tag league that All Japan puts out each year, which uh, kicked off this past Monday, uh, consisting of Kenta Miyahara and Yuma Aoyagi, who we're going to chat about, and their opening night match with Suwama and Shuji Ishikawa, Daisuke Sakamoto and The Bodyguard. The end, Odinson and Perro are back again this year, Takashi Yoshida and Gianni Valletta, Jake Lee, Naoya Naoya Nomura, Zeus and Ryoji Sai, Yoshitatsu with Joel Redman, Tajiri and Kai, Joe Doring teaming with Jun Akiyama rounds out the field with uh, Akiyama, a late replacement for the injured Dylan James. So, John, there's only 10 teams in this in this tournament. It's amazing. Just the number of teams being less than the New Japan League uh, just makes me so much happier. Like, you can focus on these people. You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can like, push a particular team and and people will pay attention because like they're they're not like part of a group of fucking 16 fucking teams out there it's it's a great it's it's so amazing like i and like let's talk about 
the main event of Cork and Hall from this past Monday. Next stream, Miyahara Aoyagi taking on one of my favorite tag teams of, in the last two years, John, the Violent Giants. And you see their, their their ring jackets, John? That's like straight out of the Midnight Express from the 1980s. Seriously. That, they, they were decked out in, in all their finest gear. And listen to, to the participants in this match, and I don't think anyone will disagree. To me, this was a star-making performance for Yuma Aoyagi. He was the focus of this match. Like, all the heat on him and down the stretch. I mean, Miyahara was present in this match, but this was all shine on Yuma Aoyagi, and he was my biggest takeaway from this match. He looked he looked fantastic. Like, All Japan has this nucleus of guys on the, on the come-up that... Man, they're all going to – maybe not all of them are going to, to hit at a main event level long term. But, man, do they have some unbelievable guys in that position to make that leap um, with Yuma Aoyagi, I think, part of that mix. John, you're going to see these people live in Cork and Hall. I'm looking forward to it. That that All Japan show, we're going on, on the third. Um, that's that's one of the most uh, interesting shows that I'm, I'm looking forward just to, to see up close and in person. In Cork and Hall, John, it's going to be your first time in Cork and Hall. That will be our first show that we're going to, right? Yes. So, yeah, that's going to be – yeah, we're, we're going to go through at the end of the show uh, the, the shows that we are planning uh, to hit once uh, Wei and I get to Japan. But, um, yeah, this match went 25 minutes, 42 seconds, uh, featured uh, a fire thunder bomb from Ishikawa onto Miyahara, and then they're double-teaming Aoyagi at the end. Just some great double team, double teaming from Ishikawa and Suwama, who hit these shotgun drop kicks, which at their size really impressive. Saito suplex by Suwama, and Aoyagi gets his shoulder up, and then he counters the elevated power bomb into a sunset flip roll up on Suwama for a two count. Suwama recovers, hits the elevated power bomb, and Suwama covers Aoyagi for the pin. Twenty five minutes forty two seconds. Uh, a really really solid main event to kick off the the tag league tournament. Yeah, and like um, they, the Violent Giants had another match with uh, Sekimoto and uh, the Bodyguard, who are the current Big Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team Champions. And yeah, I think that was on the 13th uh, show. I forget which city they're all blending in right now. But that's a good match. I, I do recommend going to like All Japan streaming service and, and checking that match out. Um, I love the Violent Giants, John. Like They were kind of like, you know, treading water a little the last couple of months. But man... These last two matches they've had just returned to form. I am so excited. Like, I kind of want, like, you know, Miyahara and Aoyagi or who else? Who else is my my choice? I think it's going to be Lee and Nomura who are going to be the winners of the tag league. But listen, if they go with the Violent Giants again and if they're wrestling like this, I have no problems with it, John. Yeah, this was a this was a really fun uh, tag match. So uh, this tournament will wrap up December the 9th, I believe. Uh, I have to, <laughs> yeah, let me I have it right in front of me. Yeah. So yeah, 19 shows, December 9th is, uh, the final show of the tour. So yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're seeking out, uh, one of these tournaments, I think the all Japan one is going to be the much more fun, enjoyable, creative tournament, uh, in terms of just different pairings and, you know, a, a really great focus on some of the younger talent that all Japan is just uh, building up that much more. Like Naoya Nomura is a phenomenal talent. I'm really hoping he's in a a very prominent match. Maybe maybe a big match with Kento Miyahara when we go on the third potentially. Yeah, I mean the thing with 
the we call them Next Stream, right? Like the the original four members of Next Stream were Miyahara, Jake Lee, Nomura, and Aoyagi as a as a as a quartet. And then like you know Jake left, he formed his own group, Sweeper. And then Nomura left, so he because he wanted to like challenge Miyahara, he wanted to get out of his shadow. And like Aoyagi is the only one who's left with Kento in in Next Stream. But you know like the, there's this whole idea that these guys are the next four like the next four pillars of of all like that all japan had in the 90s with misawa you know kawada kobashi and tawe it's not going to be like that because i'm sorry like as much as i love kinto miyahara he's he's not misawa in that era no these guys aren't there yet either but it's the promise of what they could mean to the company going forward aoyaki is not tawe aoyaki is Junakiyama, in my estimation if we're going to draw the parallel like Kento's Misawa, Jake Lee is Kawada, and, and Nomura is really like a young version of Kobashi, in my opinion, but there's no Tawe, you know, parallel, but there is a parallel with, you know, Akiyama, and uh, who's kind of like the fifth pillar that we don't talk about, you know, and, and, and Aoyagi, and I'm very, very high Aoyagi, like he's got this kind of like on and off feud with Taichi, right? That has been going on for the last several years, and they're they're gonna have a like a match, a tag match. So Aoyagi's teaming with his younger brother against Taichi, and who's his partner? Anyways, they're gonna continue this feud, John, and and like myself and my old show partner Jojo Remy, we are we are down for any meeting between Taichi and Yuma Aoyagi. Like definitely something to check out whenever they used to get in the ring together. All right, let's uh, let's go through some some other uh, big matches over the past couple of weeks. Uh, let's circle on over to Big Japan. They had a card on November fourth at Sumo Hall that aired on Samurai TV. Correct? Yes. And this yes, featured, was on Samurai TV. This featured Walter coming over to Big Japan, teaming with Daisuke Sakamoto, WH's uh, close personal friend, Daisuke Sakamoto, that that's uh, right. He hung out with in Toronto against Yuji Okabayashi and Yuji Hino, and. This one went 17 and a half minutes, and if you closed your eyes and envisioned what a tag match involving Walter, Daisuke Sakamoto, and Yuji Okabayashi with Yuji Hino would look like, this is exactly as it uh, came to life as. If you were wondering what Walter's chest would look like if it was masquerading <laughs> as, as hamburger, Man. you would you would have been uh, – you would have probably uh, not envisioned what the reality actually looked like. Oh, the <laughs> the the scene of just the chops just escalating and escalating, uh, and then Walter just dumping Hino down w- with a with a giant boot was just uh, that was a tremendous tremendous sequence. They they double teamed Walter with chops with lariats. All four eventually go down from a variety of suplexes and strikes, and then into the. Uh, closing stretch, we see uh, Sekimoto with a double German suplex to Walter and Okabayashi. Then another release German to Okabayashi before the uh, avalanche German and Sekimoto pinning Okabayashi at 17 minutes and 29 seconds. But just uh, pretty much a, a violent sprint for 17 and a half minutes. This would be like uh, if the 100-meter uh, dash had uh, the batons that you could attack each other with. That's what this was. Well, you know, the thing that was interesting to me coming out of this match was like how much like more comfortable Walter seems in an environment where he can just unleash his, you know, his chopping, his striking, his just pure like throwing people around and just bullying them. And, and he's bullying these men like Okabashi and Hino who are massive men in their own right. 
and he's just like he doesn't give a shit. He's just like going straight at them, and he's you can tell the pure joy on his face, John, that he's in sumo hall, he's in Japan, he's he doesn't have to worry about scripts or anything like that, and he's just like having fun. And I and I enjoy actually his output to some degree. He's one of the few people I enjoy watching on WB television. But my God, like I'm just thinking, what would Walter be like wrestling? in any promotion in Japan on a regular basis, the, the mind boggles. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. Like l- last week, pretty much typified like Walter's 2019 on a Monday. He's in there with Daisuke Sakamoto teaming with him on a big Japan show on Friday. He's taping raw where he's in an eight man against Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens and the street profits. That's a Monday and to Friday difference for Walter. Wasn't that, wasn't that like only like six minutes or something? They, him and Rollins did the singles match that went, yeah, really short with the DQ finish. And then that turned into the eight man that, uh, I don't know how much time they got. You at least got, got a finish with, uh, Wolf eating the pin on the Raw show. But I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder, Walter is, yeah, you just, you just wonder what, what is 2020 going to lead to with Walter? Is it going to be canceling out more outside dates and focusing more so on WWE because I think that the pressure is going to be on for this guy to be a regular on NXT proper rather than just on the UK shows. Can I just recommend one more match that I really liked from this big Japan Hall show was, uh, was a six-man tag match featuring the Stronghearts, El Lindemann, T-Hawk, and their new member, Shikihiro Irie. And they took on the team of Hideyoshi Kamitani and the Astronauts, one of my favorite tag teams, Fuminori Abe and Takuya Nomura. It's a nine-minute match. It's really high-paced, and it's just, you know, just showcases, like, the strengths of all six members of this match, John. So like I, I recommend it to you in private. Definitely if you have some time, just it's only like it's only nine minutes. Just watch it. You're gonna enjoy the hell of it. I and I say that to everyone listening. Go watch this match. Stronghearts killing it. I think they just had a match with the Young Bucks, right? Yeah, Lindemann and T Hawk just did a, a AEW Dark. So that'll be out on Tuesday and it sounded like it was tremendous. Yeah, I'm gonna actually watch that. I, I tend not to wanna watch Young Bucks matches, but you know, my boys, Lindemann and T-Hawk are in it, John. I got I to show my support. Uh, and then you had a, a live experience going to Noah, one of my favorite show titles of the year, the Battle of Aesthetics. It was truly a battle of aesthetics, John, like of old Noah and like new Noah because like the, the, the undercard was pretty much classic like 19 – no, sorry, two, early 2000s pro wrestling Noah with some of the talent they had on, on the, the undercard and like – and then they featured a lot of their their you know current and new stars like going forward with this uh, you know this ownership from Ledette and like you know this and the aesthetics you know it, literally there's a battle of aesthetics on like they they got new title belts mm-hmm. they changed like the GHC heavyweight title to the IWGP heavyweight title oh sorry I mean just you know but anyways let's get into that that show. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't see the entire card, but I, I saw a good chunk of it. So um, it, do you want to chat a bit about the undercard? The first match I saw was uh, the Fujita-Tanaguchi match. Okay, so I'm not high on Fujita at all. I, I think he doesn't do much to you know put over younger talent. He he, he hasn't done anything in and, 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 and Noah since he's come into Noah to do anything good for the, any of the talent there. But he had this program with Taniguchi, who's, you know, like kind of a, this mid-card journey guy in the company. He's got a great look, but he's just never clicked on a 
on a high, you know, top level in the company. But my God, this was my least, you know, anticipated match, John, really, of the high profile matches. But my God, I loved this match because it was so brutal. And Fujita, bless his heart, I'm not a fan of his still, but bless his heart, he took some big bumps for Taniguchi in this match. Um, the the headbutt in this that cut him open was like it, it looked like Fujita did have his hand on the head to absorb it, but this guy got busted open from this, and it just takes me right back to Okada and Shibata, and that's not a compliment. Fujita, no, not- for, for all the talk of like Masato Tanaka, how is this guy still functioning today? Ditto Kazuki Fujita, whose nickname was literally Ironhead. Like, if you go and watch some of his pride fights, like, the damage this guy has taken and is still doing at 49 is pretty insane. He took a back bump on, on the apron shot. I was like, I was like, wait, did I just see what I saw? And my God, that match was brutal. Like, the kicks to, to Tanaka. Oh, the soccer kicks. Oh, my God. He's turtling up. But my God, like I'm, I'm up in the like the 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 you know the, the upper level. So like, but I can still see very clearly what's happening, and I and I'm just like, my mouth is agape. Like my God, someone they should just do a ref stoppage, like legit, because he looks like he's going to kill Taniguchi with these soccer kicks. Yeah, this was uh the soccer kicks were just brutal, and it sets up the rear naked choke and submits uh, Taniguchi uh, as he sells that he's out cold. Um, I don't know. This was like, to me, to me, I, I was much more, uh, felt more concerned watching this than I did the John Moxley Kenny Omega match. Well, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen that yet, so I can't comment. Oh, you're, you're saving that one. I am. I'm going to watch the, I, I'm almost through. I, I'd love to uh, know what, what you think about the match. Like, I, I wasn't as negative on it. Uh, Way loved the match. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's drawn uh, praise and criticism, and I, I don't think that there's a wrong opinion to have of a wrestling match. That's that's what wrestling is. It is presenting something to the audience that are all going to interpret things differently, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having such divergent views on whether something is to your liking or not. No, I'll, I'll let you guys know what I, I think about this match. You, you can't even uh, – the word filter and WH Park, they just don't even go together. They're, they're Listen, I, I have seen some of the most brutal – Death matches in Japan done live. I've had glass land in my lap for, in Corican Hall. And these are like undercard matches. So like I, I think I'll have a different viewpoint about watching like an American style death match. We'll see. I'll be I'll be very open minded about it. I'm not gonna let my my obvious biases like cloud my judgment about this match. I will go into it with an open mind and, and let you know what I think, honestly. Um, the next match I saw was the GHC tag title match with Goshi Osaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima against Masa Kitamiya and Yoshika Inamura. Can you tell us a bit about uh, Inamura? So Inamura is like one of their like you know rookie guys that he's just he debuted a couple years ago along with uh, who is a Kenya Okada and like he's he's kind of just underneath this one guy Junta Miyawaki who's kind of, I think he's slated for the junior division but like Inamura is this big beefy dude. He's like going to be the the guy I think they're going to strap the rocket to in the next several years. He's kind of like like uh, uh, like kind of has that Morishima feel to him. 
And, you know, and I'm very, very high on Inamura. And I think him being put together with Kitamiya, like who's, who's a veteran in the company and he's, you know, been the tag champions with Nakajima in the aggression before that team split up. I think it's perfect, John. I think this guy can learn so much working with Kitamiya and taking on Shizaki and Nakajima and, and a lot of the other t- tag teams in Noah. Like I will say this about Noah. Like I have a, like some a lot of positives about Noah. I have a lot of negatives, but one of the positives is definitely their tag division. I think it's such a, a rich tag division and like they treat their tag team titles with respect in this company, John. Uh, I just wanted to note that I, is there someone with better kicks in the industry right now than Katsuhiko Nakajima? No, John, the key question is, is there someone with a better perm than Katsuhiko Nakajima? I mean, from head to toe, this guy is on, on fire. He was, he was tremendous. Just the, the crispness of which he delivered these kicks, like they were just phenomenal. Like Kitamiya is coming at him with a lariat. He kicks out the wrist to stop him. Uh, I, I thought that was like, uh, one of the big standouts and it ended with a delayed brain buster by Nakajima. And interestingly enough, it is Masa Kitamiya who takes the pinfall at 17 minutes, two seconds as Shiosaki and Nakajima get the victory. Can you, can you? Remember what Nakajima was like, like two, three years ago, like this kind of white meat baby face. <laughs> and like he kind of he turns heel, you know, he starts smiling with with that perm and he just becomes more aggressive and he just he just becomes a dick, John. And it's amazing. Like his his GHC title run was very lukewarm and very lackluster. But I think if you want to jumpstart this promotion, really? I, as much as we'll get to him, Kiyomiya, as much as I like him, I don't think it's his time right now. And I, I would, if I was booking Noah, I would make Katsuhiko Nakajima my world champion. Yeah, uh, you know, Nakajima, this is a guy that he is 31 years old and he has been wrestling for 16 years. He's wrestled everyone in wrestling in Japanese wrestling giant because he was the you know he's the protege of Kensuke Sake and they and you know Kensuke just took this kid on a tour of every promotion in Japan. He's fought everyone in Noah, er, any everyone who's been anyone in Dragon Gate at the time. People in New Japan, all Japan, like like this man's resume. Go go look at his cage match and see like his greatest matches. It's a who's who of the last 20 years in professional wrestling, John. It's amazing. Uh, then we had uh, Takeshi Sugiura and Michael Elgin for the GHC national title that they were going to be awarding to the winner of this match with Ricky Choshu there to present the title to the winner. Yeah, Choshu's got some kind of like, I don't know, ambassador job, like spokesperson job. It's it's really interesting because he is not someone I associate with pro wrestling Noah at all. No. Um but I think it, it comes through this, like, you know, this relationship that, you know, the, the booker of pressing Noah, Nosawa Rangai, has with, like, a lot of these guys, like Fujita, Sakuraba, Great Muda, and 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 Ricky Choshu, because, like, like he's he's worked for him a lot on, like, Ricky Choshu's Power Hall indie shows. You know, it's it's interesting, like, Ledet is, is on board with kind of, like, this, I don't know, like, branching out to draw talent who don't necessarily have associations with Noah to kind of expand their profile, I suppose. And I'm not against it, but I have my, you know, my feelings about like the booking, like Nosawa does with his friends against 
people who are no irregulars, like for example, Fujita against Taniguchi. And, and, you know, we, we're not going to probably not going to talk about it, but the match where Muta defeats now, now Michi Marafuji, which I felt was the wrong call because, you know, Marafuji is never going to get that win back. John, let, let's be honest here. You know, Muta's not going to do the job for this, for this guy, even though he's a legend in his own right. But yeah, hey, it's, he's, it's interesting. he's a judge in AEW now. Uh, that was funny, John. I saw the uh, the clip of that where he's the great Muda, but I don't see the great Muda. I just see, oh, it's Keiji Muda. <laughs> oh, what's, what's going on there? Anyways. They're like, just just sit here with uh, with Dean and Arn for the next uh, 20 minutes. It's like, do I have to do anything? <laughs> nope. Just sit. Yes. I, I hope they got. I hope they got him some popcorn and a and, and a you know diet coke or something to you know buy you know kill time for himself. You know. Well, hey, it's a uh, it's a night's work, um, but yeah. So uh, Sugiura and Elgin, this one went uh, twenty one and a half minutes, and man, you could certainly see. I, I don't know if you had the same uh, callbacks here, but it really seemed like it was very much like an angle Benoit style of match with some of the transitions here. Like, I mean, some very direct with the cross face counter into the ankle lock, uh, with, uh, you know, the Canadian versus the, the guy that I think, uh, most people very much saw patterns of between Kurt Angle and Takeshi Sagura. Well, I mean, Kurt Angle is one of like Sugiera's like uh, idols. Like he's also like a guy who had, you know, I think he has Olympic background himself. So, and like, you know, he used the Olympic slam as his finisher. Yeah, the IO Solar came after uh, Takeshi Sugiera to change the name of the Olympic slam. No, they, they didn't like, they, they don't, they just, you know, use Katakana, John. So they, uh, IOC doesn't know what the, what, what he's calling that move. So even though it's called the Olympic slam, maybe they think, oh, it's the Olympico. Slam, I, I don't me, but anyways, yeah, this was a great match. I, I really enjoyed this match a lot. Um, I, I definitely like saw the parallels between the the Angle Benoit match from the Royal Rumble <laughs> during the closing stretch of this. Um, but yeah, Sigara goes over, I which was surprising. You and I both thought, you know, like you know, we were we were talking about this match before it happened, and we said Elgin's gonna win this, gotta be. Yeah, that's that's where I thought this was going. I mean, they've got the the working relationship with Impact. It's not like Elgin's just coming in for a one and done or anything like that. I think he'll be a regular here. And I mean, to their credit, it looks like they're certainly going to build to a rematch between these two. But man, I thought the teases of Elgin because he doesn't always bring out the burning hammer. It's very he's very selective with it. But with Kenta Kobashi ringside, I thought that was like a really cool tease of. Uh, of using that here. I thought it was funny. Like I was watching this match and like, there's that point where Elkin points at Kobashi, who's doing commentary by the way. Uh, and he's pointing at him and he starts going for the burning hammer. So I'm at this show with Jojo Revy and me and Jojo are just looking at each other and we're just like howling with mm-hmm. laughter because we're like, you fucking nerd. But uh, kudos to him. It's like, he's just, he's one of his heroes is right there, but we are just like, kind of like, we were just kind of banging on him, like just laughing what a kind of a wrestling nerd Michael Elgin is. But, you know, he had a good match with Sugiera. Good for him. I'm, I hear the rumor, John, like I've, I've heard a rumor, unconfirmed rumor that maybe Elgin, who's Elgin fighting on, on the fourth show? Uh, someone big. Oh God, I forgot. Sorry. I'll have to, I'll have to update that on my Twitter maybe like, later on, but Elgin's going to be on the fourth and the fifth Noah shows at, at, at Corrigan Hall from what I understand, John. All right, we're we're going on the fourth, on the fifth. Fifth, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So 
Can I just mention that show very quickly before we get to the main event? Yep. As it's it's called Reboot. That's the name of this show on uh, Cork and Hall for Noah uh, on January 5th. And they are not announcing anything for this match until the match starts. So no talent, no matches are going to be announced. You're going to find out what's happening as they happen. Yeah, that's going to be the case with uh, New Year's Dash as well. That seems to be... The uh the go to for companies now, do the mystery I think show. I really think this is going to be their version of New Year's Dash at uh, Corgan Hall on the fifth. Yeah, yeah. This I mean that's what this week has become. It's like the the big big show. It's like all Japan. Like that's always a huge show on the third, and now Noah trying to establish that as well. And I think that they're they're smart to do that. It's you know at the point where now such a big percentage are people traveling in, they want to watch a lot of wrestling. So it's best to just you know throw. Your best foot forward during this week. So, uh, main event: Kaito Kiyomiya and Kano for the for Kano for the GHC title. Uh, they went very long here. This was like a thirty-one plus minute match, and you know, with with Kiyomiya, he has had the title almost a year now. Uh, he retains the title here. Um, what, what would you assess uh, of Kiyomiya having the championship? Uh, clearly this is a guy they see tons in. Is he at that spot yet or is there still uh, growth to be had? I think if you're a hardcore Noah fan and you really religiously follow this company, then yes, he is. If you're more like me and like you're more of a casual fan of Noah like and, and want to keep up with the company but just don't have the time to always do that, then no. Like I feel like – and I like him in, and I and I like – I'm fully on board with him getting the title, but I, I haven't seen any growth in him as a champion. Like he, his kind of aura has always been like this underdog. And when he became champion and his first couple of defenses, I felt he still retained that underdog feel to him. And I was going to hoping, okay, he's going to, he's going to transition. He's going to, there's going to pivot at some point and he's going to become the dominant champion. He's going to be a champion led like similar to what Okada is similar to what, you know, Miyahara who are like, you know, the parallels you want to draw with him to towards but i don't i don't see it yet john like just he just has this like kind of underdog feel to him and i don't want to see that in like a company that's trying to grow beyond what they were from a year ago and and like i i think it's going to come to a point where we're going to have to like 2020 has to be like early on you're going to have to take that belt off of him and like i said if i'm going to put on anyone else besides him i'm going to put it on nakajima because i think he's ready to be a single star and, and be the top guy in the company. Kano is just, for me, is just a mid Carter. And I, he's inexplicably pushed to the top in this company for whatever reason. And I don't get it. Um, some of the highlights, I mean, um, uh, Kiyomiya won with the, with the King's road, which is a high angle bridging tiger suplex. Uh, this guy also has tremendous height on his drop kicks. Uh, that was certainly the standout. Uh, but man, the, uh, the double foot stomps to the back of the head, uh, from Kano here were just, uh, something else as well. I'm not a fan of those, John. Like, oh, they're hard to watch. <laughs> I, I just, I just, and it, again, it, it, it seems pointless to, to have him do these kinds of moves when, at least for me, I, I just don't buy this guy as, as, as a champion, even though he's a former GAC, you know, title holder. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say the match of the show, but um, nonetheless, a fine, a fine main event uh, championship match. But I, I think with Kiyomiya, he's still very much a work in progress, which sometimes when you are 
trying to create that next star, you try and be maybe two steps ahead of your audience, but sometimes you can be too far ahead of your audience. And with Kiyomiya, it's, it's, it's always a difficulty when you're putting a title on a guy for the first time. It's the guy's got to rise to the occasion. And I think Kiyomiya, I think he's, he's improved greatly over the past year, but that's, those are very big shoes to fill. And that's, I think a burden that you have in Noah that you have in all Japan as well. It's, Sometimes that you're competing against the historical figures that have been in those roles, and that becomes very difficult to be able to create new stars when it's such a high bar. Definitely, definitely. Can I say the big star of this show, John, was the audience. Like this crowd was super hot from beginning to end, and like I was just so happy to be part of the electricity that was in the air from these like rabid Noah fans. I'm gonna say like. Probably like 95% of these people are like hardcore Noah fans. And like, I, I'm the 5% who's not. And it was just so nice to be in, in, in Sumo Hall and, and for this show. Like, they drew better than I thought they were going to draw. And it was a really, really excellent show. And a lot of that has to do with like the, the, you know, the excitement of the crowd during the whole show. Yeah. This was 5,523 was the announced attendance at Sumo Hall, certainly above what I anticipated Noah being able to draw in such a big building. So that I, I take that as a as a win for Noah. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. I was like projecting like like four, four to five. And then they they went over that. Like, I mean, I think it was set up to be like seven, seven thousand was going to like the way they set up because they blocked off the corner sections at the top level. So we kind of guesstimated that to be like each section was a thousand seats. So if you subtract that from the full capacity of Sumo Sumo Hall and the configuration they used, it would have been roughly maybe seven thousand would have been like the top end of the seats they could have sold. But and they sold I don't know what's that seventy. I think they listed seventy percent of the seats were sold before the show started. Have Have I ever told you my idea? for an app that I don't have the brain capacity to ever be able to create this. But man, if there's ever an industry that needs it, it's pro wrestling. You can, on your iPhone, you can take, you, you, you can take a photo of the entire crowd. Like your, your phone is able to capture all of these people in panoramic view. How we are not at a stage where we can use an app and instantly see how large a crowd is. To me, it changes the wrestling game. Oh, yeah. like No more guessing uh, attendance figures. We'd be able to, like, within, like, a margin of error of, like, uh, I don't know, 50 to 100 people that you'd be able to... To, to nail this. I just feel it's got, it's got to be able to, this needs to be created in the next five years. I'm not going to be the one that does this. Maybe, maybe you know, Chris Harrington's going to uh, develop this, this app, but it needs to be done. You know who would have really used that app really well back in his day would have been Roddy Piper. <laughs> That's why he walks so slow to the ring, WA. That's right. That's didn't right. Have, That's... Didn't have an iPhone. Didn't have the iPhone 25. With, uh... he, he keep those uh, crooked promoters on their toes with uh, guesstimating. Okay, I count about mm, in the three minutes it takes me to the ring, I count like 672, 672 and a half. There's a child here, okay? I'm going to talk to Don Owens about that. It might pay off. Well, we are going to be uh, guesstimating several live attendance figures in January. Can you give uh, myself as well as the audience an update? What shows are we currently scheduled to be at WH uh, come January? All right. So starting on January 3rd at 1130 a.m. at Corican Hall, we're going to we have tickets 
for the uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling show. And I attended the show this past January on the 3rd, and it was a very, fun sh- uh, very, very fun show, highlighted by a Triple Crown title defense between Kento Miyahara and Kai. That was excellent. So I'm hoping we're going to get something along those lines. And I, I think All Japan's looking at it as like, this is kind of like one of their big cards. So they're going to load it up, I think, for us. And I haven't got the tickets yet, John. But I'm very confident that we're going to be going to see a stardom show at uh, Shinkiba First Ring in the evening, in between lunch, maybe do some shopping somewhere, and then and then head over afterwards. We're going to have dinner. I don't want to say what our, our, our social plans are, because that should be just for our group. But I, and you know what I'm really interested in, if we get to go to st- stardom at Shinkiba, like, I want to see what influence Bushiroad has, already has starting in January. Right, yeah. No, that's, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, on the 4th, uh, starting at 11.30, the real main event the whole week, John, brunch at t- uh, TGIFs at, next to Cork and Hall. It's the uh, post-wrestling uh, Super JCast co-promoted uh, meet-and-greet brunch where, you know, I've I, I've reserved... never met the guys from the Super JCast, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to meeting them and whoever shows up at this. So it's uh, 40 seats I've reserved. So it's first come, first serve. There's there's no wait, waiting list. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. Just be there on time. Uh, it's like a, a la carte. So just order what you want. And uh, each table is going to be responsible for sorting out their own bills. So please keep track of what you order. Please, please, please. And I'm going to, I'm going to suggest people assign someone to, you know, take care of keeping track of people's bills and like how much they owe and stuff like that. That's kind of what we did last year. Um, it's two hours. So from 1130 to, uh, yeah, 130, we're going to, we're going to have that section of uh, TJFs all to us and it, it'll be fun. Like last year's was really, really fun. And like, there's going to be more people there. I think wanting to come, like you and Way are going to be there, and like a lot of people we know who are flying in as well. It's going to be exciting. And then uh, after that, we're going to go to this small show at this place called the Tokyo Dome. John, I think it's called Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know too much about that show. Yeah, it's a uh, it's one of those spot shows on the on the New Japan Loop. Yes. Uh, on on the fifth, we're going to go to uh, the aforementioned uh, Pro Wrestling Noah reboot show at Cork and Hall in the morning, and then after that, uh, we'll go straight to the Tokyo Dome again for Wrestle Kingdom uh, Part Two. You know, yeah, uh, WWE can see uh, Jay White leave the dome with two titles. <sighs> you might not want me on like any review show. You and Way are going to record after these shows if that happens, John. I just. This might break. I might break the uh, the microphones. But anyways, on the sixth, thanks to our good friend uh, Fraser Marriott, he he has secured us tickets. You know, John, we're gonna go to uh, New Year's Dash at uh, Oda City Ward Gym. Uh, we're gonna see Liger's retirement ceremony, and who knows what else? Because you know, it could could be anything. Usually, they they reserve a lot of their big angles that are gonna propel the company throughout the next year at New Year's Dash, and we're gonna. It's going to be my first time at New Year's Dash, actually. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's always a fun show. Again, they don't announce anything ahead of time, and it's you know usually you get one big angle uh, on the show and a bunch of surprises. So, yeah, who knows uh, what'll be in store? But man, the the Liger retirement ceremony on the sixth, I, I think that's going to be a really cool deal. Yeah, and I I hope you don't start talking about like Rusev's angle during the the middle of that uh, ceremony. By the way. <laughs> Yes, that was uh, where I, I told Way that when we're in the midst of that, I'm going to remind him that this same industry has produced the Rusev and Lana storyline that 
who knows? It'll probably still be going on by the time we uh, we go over there. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to all these shows. And if you are a patron, we're going to be doing a lot of bonus shows that week. We'll also have some free shows up uh, with with various reviews. Tons of WH Park. He has been so generous to help us out with uh, securing tickets and uh, joining us uh, for a number of our shows that week. So I look forward to hanging out with you, WH. And uh, it should be a really, really fun uh, week plus in Japan. You know who I'm also looking forward to meeting for the first time is, is Martin Bushfeet, John, from the British Wrestling Experience. That's right. Mar- there is such a slew of people that are coming. Mar- Martin Bushby is going to be there. Uh, I believe Mark Ramondi is going, if I'm not mistaken. Todd Martin is going. Dave Meltzer is going. Uh, it just I- I've talked to so many people. It's like, yeah, we're going. We're going. It's It just seems like a, a huge amount uh, of people in, in our small world that will all be in a foreign country together. I, I'm wondering if I'm going to finally get to meet Dave Meltzer. You've never met person. Dave Meltzer? I've never met Dave Meltzer. Like the one time I had a chance was at the last, this past January 3rd's Cork and Hall show. I actually went to the washroom and then like, you know, I, I was sitting with Chris Harrington and Chris is like, oh, you just missed Dave Meltzer. He came by to say hi. I go, oh, really? Oh, oh well. Maybe I'll see him later at another show. But I did see him at the Storm show the night, uh, like later on. And But he was like, he was. He came in late. He drew a lot of attention on himself because he was late, and I didn't have a chance to talk with him. But maybe, maybe this this coming January, John. Like maybe we'll you make can it introduce happen. me. We'll make it happen. WH. You can introduce me to him like that. Uh, so hey, so we're we're done. Almost everything. There's this one matter though that maybe you should just bring up. Like someone apparently had trouble getting into Japan. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about this, the uh, the, the Kenny Omega uh, story that he had trouble getting in. This was for the recent DDT show, and apparently he's had several issues getting into the country this year. Uh, so this being the latest one, but each time he has gotten into the country, and then Harold May uh, came out uh, stating that New Japan has had nothing to do with Kenny Omega's entry problems. Yeah, it's kind of like you know the story broke. I think in in the Observer, like Dave Meltzer wrote about. Like the story where, and the, the strong inference was that, like, maybe New Japan is behind, you know, Kenny Omega having issues, like, getting into the country at, at the airport. And I, my, my take on it was, like, you know, there was, like, talk, like, you know, years before that maybe Kenny was a citizen of Japan. But, like, if he's a citizen, there's, like, there's nothing New Japan could do to prevent him from getting into the country. And even if he's not a citizen, like, honestly, John, like, I'm going to take Harold May at his word because like, I was thinking about this like a lot. I'm thinking, what could they do to prevent him from getting into the country? Are, do, does Bushi Road have the clout to call up the Japanese Immigration Bureau and say, hey, there's going to be this blonde guy with curly hair. He's kind of nerdy. Can you just you know, delay him at the, at the border? We don't know what we, we, we think he might be on this airplane at this airport because they don't know his itinerary, John. Like, you know, I don't know what the, the problem is. The other thing is, is like just as a quick, you know, like tutorial about visas, work visas in Japan, because I live in Japan. I work in Japan. Right. Here's the thing. When when you change your job in Japan as, as a foreigner, as a foreign resident, you have to change your, your, your visa. You have to go to city hall of whatever city you live in, whatever district, district you live in. And, and you have to tell them, like, 
my 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 company has changed, so I'm gonna have to get my my uh, Zyru card. That's what we call the foreign resident card uh, changed. So it it reflects that new information. And depending on what company you join afterwards, it, you might your 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 like the 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 style of what you pay for pension and how you pay your health insurance is gonna change maybe. So like when Kenny Omega left New Japan, he he stopped being a paid employee of a Japanese company. So. I don't know. Maybe this is just, and this is just wild speculation on my part. I have no idea if New Japan is messing it's around. It's what I thought could have been an issue is that he's not he's not working with with a company. He's not under contract to any Japanese company any longer. Could that? And, and you're coming in on whether it be a temporary visa, no visa. I, like I don't know what his situation is coming into the country now when he's just doing you know freelance spots for DDT. Yeah, I I, I think there it's likely that. It's a possibility that maybe when he left the country, he didn't, you know, do, fulfill all the, you know, requirements that one has to do when they leave. You have to do when you leave Japan, you know, John, you have to turn in your Zyru card. You have to pay off any outstanding, you know, city taxes you might owe. You have to, you know, close all your, you don't have to close your bank accounts. You can keep those open. But there's a lot of things you have to do. Maybe there's some one little thing he neglected to do. Who knows? That's causing him these problems. But I, I really want to just put it out there that I would find it incredibly, uh, like, incredulous that New Japan is behind any of his, like, visa problems getting into the country. That's it. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap up this month's edition of the show. I want to point everyone to... If you have tuned into this show and you're just saying to yourself, no, the time cannot be up. We need more WH Park. Well, you know what? Sundays are WH Park Day here at PostWrestling.com. Sunday morning, we put up the latest edition of Thunderstruck, where WH was joined by Emily Pratt to chat about Jushin Thunder Liger, Brian Pillman from Super Brawl 2 in February of 1992. And looking ahead to next weekend, it is the return of Matt McEwen to the show, as you guys will be chatting Liger, Great Muda from October 96, featuring the appearance of Kishin Liger. The, the debut appearance of Kishin Liger, John. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a couple of, couple of weeks uh, too late from, you know, the, the surprise appearance he made at uh, King of Pro Wrestling. But, hey, you know, or I think before that. Anyways. It's a good show. I, I, I was really happy to talk with Emily Pratt, who's a who's a writer. I really really respect. Go check her work out over at Uprocks. Just does some incredible work there. Um, and John, I gotta say, some of these these upcoming guests like that I've already recorded, just fantastic. There's there's two guys that I I talked to like in the last couple of weeks. I'll tell you later off air. But my God, you you people are in for a treat if you're enjoying this show so far. These like these guests coming up are just gonna blow you out of the water even more wow that that is the tease wh you have nailed it so i definitely recommend thunderstruck it's an awesome series going back and reviewing classic matches from jushin thunder liger's career and uh some great past guests as well including uh benno was on a recent edition uh some great stuff to uh, to check out from the great WH Park. So that's going to wrap things up, everybody. If you want to give him a follow, at WH Park 9, that is the number 9 on Twitter, is where you can follow him. And Thunderstruck, it drops every Sunday here at postwrestling.com. WH and I will be back in December. Um, I'm wondering, are we... This is uh, we're, we're getting to year end time, WH. So we'll have to discuss what we're going to tackle on the, uh, the December edition, which I imagine will be our last show before uh, before our trip. Yeah, and I gotta, I gotta probably talk about who's the sh- has the shittiest gear on, like 
Braden and Davies' uh, year-end show. I got to do something for you and Way's year-end show, I'm sure. Uh, it's going to be busy. Yeah, we have to discuss what we're going to do. High demand WH Park. That's that's how it rolls around here. Everyone everyone wants a piece of uh of WH. A man who's uh I, I'm getting ready for the celebrity that is WH Park when I'm I'm over there because I got to see it in Toronto. Just how big WH Park is among our audience. Like you are you are this mythical figure that no one gets to see over here. So when you showed up SummerSlam weekend, I can only imagine what the the reception is going to be like when you're in your your home turf walking into Core Q and Hall and the whole place just stands up. They're like, oh, my God, it's WH Park here. Uh, Masaki, he's one of the ushers. Hey, get get us our seats, would you, would you pal? All right, thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next month. Goodbye.